0: Let me invite you to turn with me uh we're not going immediately back to ephesians this week uh, I'll pick up there next week but i had uh some conversations this week that sort of spurred uh this uh this sermon uh, this message on as uh, the session met uh, this past week and uh talked about um, can, you know what do we do from Uh, June into July. Uh, Obviously, you've seen that we're going to continue as usual uh, with not having Sunday school for a time, Uh, evening worship on Sunday for a time. Um, Of course, the Bible studies are, um, we, we have normally taken a sabbatical for those in the summertime anyway, so we're looking forward to beginning in full force as uh, the Lord permits uh, and all of these uh, restrictions with uh, covid nineteen allow uh, in September uh, to begin back uh, with uh, most of our all of our uh, worship times and bible study times uh, and fellowship uh, dinners uh, but in, in the meantime, uh, you know we also spoke about communion I mean how do we Uh, Observe the Lord's Supper as we uh, would like to observe it uh, personally uh, and uh, uh, very intimately with the restrictions that we have in place of sitting in. Uh, you know, at least uh, pretty close to six feet apart in our families here in the church, and passing those elements out and we uh, after some prayer and some close deliberation, decided that we would uh, not observe the lord 's Supper this Sunday as we continue to investigate and try to work out those mechanics and and hopefully, in August, the first week in August, the first sunday. Uh, fellowship around the Lord's table, however that is going to look. Uh, This is, obviously, the first Sunday of July, and the table set before us is empty, except for those words across the front, do this in remembrance of me. It struck me that we may not be observing communion, fellowship around this table, And yet we are still gathered here in fellowship and communion with one another. We place a very high view upon two sacraments that our Lord instituted. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper and Baptism simply because we are not observing the Lord's Supper this morning doesn't mean that uh, we think any less of that sacrament. I mean, we take a very high view of it. It doesn't mean that we think any less of it as a means of grace or that we receive less of God's grace if we don't observe it according to our schedule and our plan. God's grace is available to us all the time through the living word, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So as we continue here this morning, thinking about communion, and this fellowship that we have as a means of grace. Let's look together at Philippians chapter 4, verse 21. It's by way of introduction, here. If you have your Bibles before you, I mean, you can't see it up here on the, on the monitor. Paul ends this chapter here in this section with these words in verse 19. And he says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's as if he ends right there. If we were listening to that. And yet, what does he do? He picks up with two more verses in our English Bibles that we have in Philippians 4, verses 21 through 23. Three verses. Where he says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The grass withers, flowers fade and fall, but the words, these words of our Lord God endure forever. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would direct our thoughts, that we would By your spirit, put aside the distractions that we have brought into this room with us this morning. That we might hear your voice. That we might know the sound of your voice speaking into our lives during this moment and this time. That we, as your people, this community and fellowship of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, might grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. See, we can have communion with one another without, at least for a time, observing communion at this table. Now, that communion, that sacrament that we observe is Very important. Because it is a means of grace that our Lord instituted for our growth in grace. But there have been times over the centuries, over the ages, where God's people have not been able to gather together and observe and even worship together. And they look forward to that time when either the the temple was rebuilt and uh, God's people could gather around with one another in the presence of that temple to worship. So we defer that time for a moment, looking forward to that day and what a sweet and blessed time that will be when we gather together at this table to partake of communion, that sacrament of our Lord. So we can have communion without Observing communion. Now, the rest of our time here this morning hopefully is going to explain what exactly that cryptic statement means. We can have communion with one another without observing and serving communion to one another. The Westminster Confession of Faith, larger confession. Chapter 26, verse 1 says this All saints that are united to Jesus Christ, their head by his Spirit and by faith, have fellowship with him in his grace, sufferings, death, resurrection, and glory, and being united to one another in love, they have communion in each other's gifts and graces, and are obligated to the performance of such duties, public and private which nourish their mutual good, both spiritually and physically. One uh, Bible uh, dictionary defines fellowship as the essence of Christian life. Our fellowship with God and fellowship with other believers is the essence of Christian life. This fellowship, this communion with God... Results in common participation with other believers in the Spirit of God and God's blessings. Paul wrote this particular letter of Philippians from a prison cell. He was in prison in Rome sometime between 61 and 63 A.D. in the first century. He had planted the church in Philippi. He wrote to them from prison in Rome because the Philippians had expressed their concern for him regarding his separation, his seclusion, his imprisonment, and possibly his martyrdom, his death. So he reassures the Philippian Christians that everything that had happened to him was not just some sort of event that happened by chance, that everything that happened in his life, there was a reason and a purpose. As he says in Philippians 1, verse 12, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel Paul's solid rock of faith in the sovereignty of God got him through all things together with his concern not just simply for himself as he asked for prayers for himself and others with him but his concern for others even while he was secluded in prison. That word fellowship English word, a transliteration of that word, fellowship, the Greek word koinonia, you may have heard before, appears also in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayers with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation. In the gospel from the first day until now. That word participation. Is translated in some Bibles as fellowship. Because that koinonia. That participation is fellowship. With God and with one another. Within the family of God. The church that Paul had planted had grown and matured by God's grace. It had now officers. It had overseers, uh, deacons, elders and deacons. And the church was active in proclaiming, in progressing and advancing the gospel. There was a partnership, a fellowship, a communion of saints who, being united to one another through their common faith in Jesus Christ, united to one another in love, God's people had fellowship in each other's gifts and grace and were obliged to perform those public and private duties which nourished their mutual good, both spiritually and physically. We have to remember, humanly speaking, the believers who made up that communion of the saints in Philippi had very little in common. And yet, they were joined together in that fellowship of the body of that particular church there in Philippi. One of those members was a wealthy businesswoman from Asia Minor. Another was a slave girl delivered from a Spirit possession. A third was a local prison official who was possibly a retired Roman soldier. They were politicians. They were freedmen. They were obviously male and female. They were young and old, and yet they were all united in one common purpose or one common fellowship. What could possibly have united them? Well, it was just that. Their common faith in their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, fellowship, communion that we talk about is something that is multifaceted. Someone yesterday showed me uh, an engagement ring. Beautiful ring. That as the light shone in it, Reflected that light directed into it. Even as we take this God's Word and the Holy Spirit shines into it so that we might see the multi facets of fellowship and communion. Some of the characteristics of this fellowship are first of all that it is inclusive now I don't want you to get up and leave here because you now hear a word that you hear out in the world a lot that means something totally different than what we're using this word how we're using this word here this morning Because just the mention of that word, inclusivity, let's all be inclusive. We all believe in the the same God, you know, we just worship Him in different ways. We're all different sorts of people. We're all different. So let's just be inclusive and get along and be one big happy family of humanity. Inclusivity aims to provide, the world often says, equal access to opportunities and resources for people who might otherwise be excluded or marginalized. You've heard that word too probably recently. Those having physical or mental disabilities or belonging to other minority groups. Let's just include everybody. Without excluding anyone. Well, Paul says here that those who are called by the name Christian are to do what? They are to greet every saint. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. He doesn't say greet some saints, he says, greet every one. Paul wanted every Christian in the Philippian church to be greeted, not just some saints, but every saint. And Paul knew most of the believers there at Philippi. And he wanted them to know of his own love for them, his affection for them. He wanted to greet Euodia, and those who might have sided with her in that disagreement in the church. Oh, there were disagreements in the church? Yeah, there were. He wanted to greet Syntyche, and those who might have sided with her. He wanted to greet Clement and the rest of his fellow workers for the sake of advancing the gospel He wanted to greet the overseers as well as the deacons. He wanted to greet the slaves and the free, the the males and the females. He wanted to greet the Philippian jailer who had once kept him in prison. None were to be excluded from Paul's greeting. All were to be included in that greeting because the communion of the saints is inclusive. Why? Why? because we who are many are members of one body. Look at Romans 12, verse 5, where Paul says just that. We who are many are one body and individually members of one another. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members. He reminds us in 1 Corinthians 12, and all the members of this body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Consider Jesus' words in Matthew 11. Verses 28 through 30, where he says, Come to me, some of you. Now, I saw some heads come up when I said that because you know the words. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ offers to take the burdens of our struggles and He makes the only qualification for coming to Him the acknowledgement of a burden. Put another way, we might say this, the only qualification for coming to God through Christ is to know that you cannot meet any qualification that would make you worthy of saving. And the irony of this inclusion of greeting all the saints is that it simultaneously, that is, at the same time, and necessarily excludes everyone. Who does not come to Christ trusting Him and Him alone for their salvation? See, the body of Christ includes every single person who has been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and has been converted by God's grace through faith to trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. The communion of saints does not include some believers or most believers. It includes all who truly believe, who belong to Jesus Christ and have made a profession of faith and been baptized into the family of God. So how inclusive are we when we look at others who profess faith in Jesus Christ? How easy is is it for us to make distinctions between different Christians to jump to conclusions maybe too quickly. By nature we gravitate to those who are similar to us. We are, I might say, a homogenous sort of group. I mean, just look at us. Christ came to break down the walls of division so that the communion of saints would be an inclusive fellowship. And anyone who has made that profession of faith in Jesus Christ ought to be welcome into our fellowship. I'm not saying they're not. But they should be, anyone who makes a profession, who seeks to come to worship with us in spirit and in truth, ought to be welcome within this body. The communion of saints is inclusive, but it is also exclusive in that it is Holy. Paul says in verse 21 there in Philippians, greet every saint. That word for saint means those who are holy, those who are set apart those who are consecrated that's basic idea is separation and devotion to service to sharing in god's purity and abstaining from the world's defilements and temptations this isn't just a new testament concept it's something that goes back to the old testament even in, in uh, Leviticus, even further back than that, but Leviticus is just a sampling. Chapter 11, verse 44 For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, set yourselves apart. A Hebrew word there, kadosh. Be holy. Be set apart for I am holy and you shall not make yourselves unclean with any of the swarming things that swarm upon the earth. That is, set yourself apart from all worldly things. Deuteronomy 7.6 For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. He is the One who has called you, chosen you to be a people for His own possession, His prize possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And then Peter, Second Peter 2, 9, reminds us of these very words out of Deuteronomy. For you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Sometimes people make distinctions between the word Christian and saint. And for them the title saint refers to someone who has been officially and authoritatively declared holy. Because of his or her dedication or their, their service while upon this earth so that they can now make, as they are deceased and dead and gone and uh, hopefully with God in the presence of Him, worshiping Him now, but they believe, that some of these, that those saints can make intercession for you, special intercession for you as you pray to them here and now. But you know what? You are saints. Each and every one of us trusting in Jesus Christ and Him alone for our salvation have been set apart, consecrated to God's holy purpose and use. We are saints. Every Christian is a saint because he or she has been set apart by God to live for God. A saint is simply a person who is holy, set apart, sanctified, and consecrated to God, by God, and for God. And the Bible is clear if you are called by that name Christian, you are a saint. Sanctified, made holy by God's grace through faith. Trust in the only righteous one, Jesus Christ. And that's why the communion of the saints is a, is a holy, set-apart fellowship. When I was growing up, we lived in Greenwood, Mississippi for a time. Attended uh, First United Methodist Church there. In Greenwood, where I made a profession of faith back in sixty-two, maybe sixty-three. That's two. Sixty three. And I, rem- I mean, since we have been observing uh, holidays recently that go back to the seventeen and the eighteen hundreds, so I just wanted to clarify that for you. Uh, But I remember the church having stained glass windows in it. Beautiful stained glass windows. And I have to admit that I would often lose myself in uh, looking at the light coming through those windows rather than listening to the sermon. But I remember the sun beaming through those, I, I admit it, the sun beaming through those stained glass picture windows. St. Matthew and Mark, Luke, John, Paul, pictured in some of those stained glass windows. And now, thinking back, if someone had asked me, what is a saint? I probably... Would have answered this way A saint is a person through whom the sun shines. Now, you can take that word, sun, as, yes, the the sun coming from the sky, but also the sun, our sun of God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A saint is a person through whom the sun shines. We've been reminded in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, that as Christians we are light in the world. We reflect God's light because we have been set apart by God, for God, through the One who is the light of the world. So that we can say the communion of the saints is a holy communion, set apart, consecrated to God. So that we are people through whom the light of the sun shines. This holy communion that we fellowship with one another in is Christ-centered. Every one of us is called to be a saint in Jesus Christ. But our greeting of them is to be in Christ. We are in Christ, but our greeting should be in Christ and through Christ. Christians are in union with Him. We have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit so that we are enabled to believe in Christ Jesus. The Father, it is He who justifies us through our faith and adopts us into His family by that faith so that all believers can rightly be called brothers and sisters in Christ. Everything centers on on Christ, because we're in Christ. This mystical quality of this fellowship makes the church more than a human institution. It makes it more than a a social group. The church is the body of Christ. A divine institution against which the gates of hell cannot and will not prevail because He is the head. And He is the one who holds all things together as we fellowship with Him and with one another. So that we, like Paul, are to stand as Christ before others, to become as Christ to others in order that they might see Christ in us. Paul knew, as we learn daily, that before the, the Judean churches could glorify God through Paul, Paul first had to by God's grace, glorify God in Himself. The only way that He and that we can do that is by living as Christ lived. And in a sense, every Christian is to be as Christ. Even as the Son of Man, who did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many, said these words, He must increase. I must decrease. So this is the way we commune with one another. We serve one another through this holy fellowship with one another. Called called together by God through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on the next two um, points here. But this fellowship that we are joined together with is family focused. I mean, just look at the words there in Philippians 4. The words brothers. And speaking of households of families, for we are drawn together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes that bond that we have, that spiritual bond, brothers and sisters in Christ, is greater than the bond that we have with our physical brothers and sisters. For Jesus said, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciples. Jesus is not saying, I mean, physically hate somebody. But if you love them, as he said to Peter, these things more than me, then you cannot be my disciple. If you love me, more than anything else in the world, then you will love your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, all of those who are in Christ as members of that family, so that we can support one another by loving one another well. Through God's grace. How do we live our lives daily? We live by God's grace through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Paul closes here in verse 23. He says, the grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. This is a closing benediction. But it's more than just a nice way of saying, i saying goodbye. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is crucial to the entire gospel message to our living out our lives before God. Grace means God's unmerited favor shown to us who deserve his judgment. And without grace we could not receive the gospel because none of us can ever earn or none of us even deserve it. For by God's grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works lest anyone boast. God's grace is something we all want for ourselves. But we have trouble extending that grace to others. We're all quick to apply that grace to ourselves and slow to extend that grace to others. In our families, in our extended families, in our communities and even in the world, when we need to be quick to judge ourselves and show grace to others. We're reminded in Ephesians 4.31, although we're not looking at Ephesians this morning, it keeps coming back. To let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Because these are the things that characterize the world and not the community of believers. The brothers and sisters who have been called out, sanctified by God's grace. See, we may not be serving communion here this morning but we are still actively involved in communion in Christ, with Christ, and with one another as we fellowship and worship here today. What are some practical ways that we can apply all this? That we can bring it maybe closer to home. First of all, we can commit ourselves to the fellowship of the saints. And I know during this time of uh, these uh, safer-at-home edicts and, and uh, uh, you know, living behind uh, our walls and, and the, the safety of our, our masks, it's difficult to do this, isn't it? To commit ourselves to fellowship with the saints. But we can't experience true fellowship if we're not connected to one another. To other Christians who know us personally and who you know well. Commit ourselves to fellowship with the saints. Commit ourselves to fellowship with the saints by working through relational problems. Why am I bringing that up? You know what? Church is a place for sinners called by God's grace. Do we have problems? Yeah. Do we have relational issues? Yeah, we do. But by God's grace, we're part of a family that should be working together with one another to find a common solution to difficulties and problems that we have. The solution for some is just to leave, not attend, not be here. But if we are called, as a member of this body, to be a member of this fellowship and community and faith, then the I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. It would be like you putting your hand up and saying, I don't need you, right hand. I'm going to cut you off. I'm going to put you away. I don't need you. We need one another. The church is not perfect this church or any church, and will not be this side of heaven. That is just reality, folks. Commit ourselves to the fellowship of the saints by working through relational problems. And commit ourselves to the fellowship of the saints through ministry and service to the saints. Every believer, everyone called as a child of God, as a brother and sister in Christ, has been given a gift use that gift. Rather than being self-focused, nobody said hello to me today. Uh, This is not a very friendly church. I mean, this is a very friendly church. But there are people who go into churches seeking to, to, to have those things said to them and they don't find them the antidote for that is don't focus on yourself. Focus on others. Focus on someone else. Now, there's a person who nobody has talked to. Let me go speak to them. I'll go over and reach out to him or to her. Take the initiative. Find that time. Maybe move beyond your comfort zone and your safety seat. And stay within six feet and greet them with that air five. And Paul says, as we do this, that we will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Philippians, this message here, tells us how to know God's joy in every circumstance. As we grow in grace and that knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we will experience that joy and that completion of being part of something greater than ourselves in that community and that fellowship with our Lord and Savior. By knowing the grace of our Lord through the gospel so that we can grow in fellowship with Him, we will know joy by getting our focus off ourselves and onto others as we fellowship with one another. We will know joy by bearing witness of His glorious testimony of saving grace. The gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ to those who are lost. So that we can enter into that same joy, fellowship with God and with the saints. So Paul closes here as I will close here today with a reminder of this. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you for this community of believers. This fellowship and communion of the saints. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.